Welcome back to Current Affairs, our show about the stories of love gone fatally wrong that are in the news right now. I think if you've been with us long enough, you may know that these shorter, more contemporary stories come out every Friday, while our very long deep dive episodes come out every Wednesday. For the next two weeks, however, we are going into retrospective mode, looking at some of the cases and stories that have shaped 2023. The theme of this week's first part of the two-part series is resolutions. <laughs> One of the interesting hallmarks of the year were cases that had been high profile in years past seeing some amount of resolution, or at least major progress, which I think warms everyone's hearts. We'll be looking at four big examples of that today. First, a conviction in a fatal love triangle in Texas. Anna Mariah Moe Wilson was an exciting up-and-comer in the professional cyclist community. Unfortunately, she ran afoul of yoga instructor Caitlin Armstrong. Both Moe and Caitlin had been involved at various points with another professional cyclist, Colin Strickland. Caitlin was extraordinarily jealous of Moe. So much so that when, in May of 2022, when Moe came to Caitlin's town of Austin, Texas for a race, Caitlin used a workout tracking app to hunt Mo down and shoot her three times. Soon after the murder, Caitlin Armstrong fled the country. She spent a month in Costa Rica traveling on her sister's passport, dyeing her hair, and even getting a nose job to avoid detection. She spent 43 days on the run, but the law eventually caught up to her. The key to finding her? Searching Costa Rican yoga studios, of course. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like nice Fleeing if you can get it. A little cosmetic surgery, a little yoga, maybe a little surfing. <laughs> in July of this year, she was flown back to the U.S. In October, while being escorted to a medical appointment, she broke free and took correctional officers on a mile-long chase before they were able to recapture her. She was still working out, you could tell. <laughs> At the trial, Caitlin's defense tried to claim that it was just circumstantial evidence. But the jury was having none of that. She was found guilty in just two hours and sentenced to 90 years in prison. Next, we cover the once cold case of Crystal Rogers. Crystal was a Kentucky mother of five who went missing all the way back in July 2015. Up until this year, there had never been an arrest in her case. What there had been was more tragedy. Crystal's father, Tommy, had been absolutely determined to find his daughter and her killer. But on November 19th, 2016, he was shot and killed while preparing for a hunting trip. Police called it a hunting accident, at least, but Crystal's mother said absolutely no way. The main suspect in Crystal's disappearance had always been her then-boyfriend, Brooks Houck. But it would take until this September, a full eight years after she went missing, for Brooks to be arrested. Brooks was arrested and charged with murder and tampering with physical evidence. He has been in jail with a $10 million bond. Two others, Brooks' friends and co-workers, Stephen and Joseph Lawson, have also been charged with conspiracy to commit murder. So far, no one has been charged in Tommy's death, but there have been reports that a weapon potentially used in that shooting was recovered. Here's hoping for even more resolution for Crystal's family in 2024. From there, we move into even bigger resolutions. We covered the case of Dan Markell last year, even having his mother Ruth on to discuss it as well as her book. Dan was a law professor who was shot and killed outside his home in 2014. The death came after a bitter custody dispute with his ex-wife, Wendy Adelson. 
The central issue was around Wendy wanting to move herself and the couple's children hours away from Markel, which Dan refused. Dan's murder has seen a set of successful convictions. Catherine Magbanawa and Sigfrido Garcia were convicted of first-degree murder, and another man who had cooperated with authorities, Luis Rivera, also received a 19-year sentence for second-degree murder. Still, many, many, many of us felt that justice had not been fully served, as the question of who had hired these folks had never been answered. This fall, we got some major updates there. First, Wendy's dentist brother, maestro Charles Adelson, was convicted in November. His flimsy defense had been that the trigger team had coerced him to give them money. But the jury wasn't buying it. Then, just after that conviction, Charlie and Wendy's mother, Donna Adelson, was also arrested and charged with the same exact crimes as her son. First-degree murder, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, and solicitation of first-degree murder. Dramatically, she was arrested at the Miami International Airport with one-way tickets to Vietnam by way of Dubai. Strangely, two places with no extradition treaty with the U.S. Donna is currently awaiting trial. Andy, do you want to say anything about maestros while we're talking about one? Never trust a man that calls himself a maestro. We have a new maestro coming up for you guys coming up on Wednesday. Next, a story that has been front page news for decades. This is a huge resolution. All the way back in May 2005, then 18-year-old Natalie Holloway went missing in Aruba. The first suspects arrested in the case were two former security guards who eyewitnesses had placed near Natalie when they had dropped her off at 2 a.m. after a night of dancing. Authorities quickly figured out, however, that those eyewitnesses were likely just trying to take the heat off of themselves. The new main suspects were 17-year-old Joran Vandersloot and 19- and 21-year-old brothers Satish and Deepak Kalpo. The saga of Joran in particular being arrested, let go, appearing on TV with made-up stories about Natalie's death, went on for years. In 2010, Joran decided to extort Natalie's family, brazenly emailing her mother's attorney and offering information about her death and her body's whereabouts in exchange for $200 and $50,000. That attorney got the FBI involved, which would lead to the outcomes of 2023. Yet that wasn't the biggest event of 2010. Also in that year, Doran was arrested in Chile for the murder of another young woman, Stephanie Flores Ramirez, who had gone missing in Peru. He would end up pleading guilty to Stephanie's murder, but claimed temporary insanity. The catalyst for his rage? Stephanie had discovered his connection to the Natalie Holloway case. In 2012, Joran was sentenced to 28 years in prison. While many were glad to see Joran behind bars, he hadn't been held accountable for Natalie's murder and hadn't even shared what had really happened. That changed this year when, as part of a plea deal with the U.S. on charges of extortion and wire fraud, which of course they had him on thanks to the actions of Natalie's mother and her lawyer, he finally recounted the full story. Whether Joran will ever serve time for Natalie's murder specifically remains an open question. Aruba nominally has a 12-year statute of limitations, but authorities have seemed to leave open the possibility of trying to prosecute Vandersloot. Which is great news. Yes. That the door is open there. Yes. Finally, what was easily the biggest true crime story of the year was the arrest of the suspected Long Island serial killer. For decades, the Gilgo Beach area of Long Island has been the hunting ground for a suspected serial killer. The targets had always been sex workers, and in many cases it had, taken, it had taken years for the authorities to even find complete remains. 
to say nothing of identifying them. For a full history of the victims found by authorities over the years, go back and check out our current affairs episode from July 28th. Where the story really picked up was in February of 2022, when a new task force was formed to pursue the Long Island serial killer, including local, state, and federal investigators. There were a few big updates to the case that happened. The first was that technology had advanced and police were better able to map calls that had come into and gone from victims' phones the days surrounding the murder. There were two standout areas, an area in midtown Manhattan where calls had taken place during the day, and so which was presumed to be where Lisk worked, and an area within the town of Massapequa Park at night where it was assumed that they lived. That might not have been enough. But another break came when in the process of reviewing all of the case files, investigators stumbled on an interview with one of the victim's former roommates. In the interview, the roommate described coming home one night in 2010 to find his friend and future victim hiding while a massive man threatened her. The roommate and the, quote, Frankenstein-like man got into a fight before the monster retreated to a Chevy Avalanche truck. The next day, another witness saw the same truck drive by the home. For whatever reason, this interview was never really followed up on. The new task force wasn't going to make the same mistake, though, and used the physical description of the attacker and the make and model of the truck to identify 59-year-old architect Rex Heuerman. Subsequent to the identification, a slew of evidence piled up, including DNA collected from outside Heuerman's home and work, as well as horrifying and very, very related to the crime's Google searches. Since the arrest, fascination around the case has done nothing but increase. The latest uproar surrounded Hewerman's wife, Asa Ellerup. Ellerup is reportedly being paid seven figures by a Peacock docuseries causing massive consternation not only among the victims' families but among numerous state politicians. A bill has now been introduced in the New York State Legislature to close a loophole in the Son of Sam law to ensure that families of killers can't profit off of their relatives' crimes without notifying victims' families, with the idea being that they can sue. Should this case go to trial in 2024, it will surely be one of the biggest cases we've seen in years. Absolutely. And that law will change a lot of true crime reporting because I know that there are definitely family members of killers that go on to write books and have podcasts. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Absolutely. That, however, will wrap this first part of our end of the year coverage. Next week, we'll be back with the Love Murder Current Affairs Hall of Shame. You're not going to want to miss that one. Until then, I'm Jesse Prey. And I'm Andy Cassette signing off for Love Murder Current Affairs. 